You want to open up your Bibles to Isaiah 61. And I was going to ask you a question. I was going to ask you today, if do, do you consider yourself a person of joy? But the problem with that question is that that question is more introspective. My question is, do those around you, do the people you encounter every day of your life, do they consider you a person of joy? See, as believers in Jesus Christ, we should be people of joy. On that, that, that night out in the field, when the shepherds were surprised by the angels who came to announce the birth of Jesus Christ, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. See, see the good news of Jesus Christ is not just to bring us not just joy, but great joy. And this is very significant in our world today because, to be honest with you, life stinks. Life is hard. And it doesn't get any easier in this world that we're living in. It's at times to find joy in the world around us. If you spend any amount of time watching the news, you're going to struggle to find joy. Because understand, the news organizations do not want you to have joy. They want you to be sad and, and be concerned all the time because the more concerned you are, the more you're going to watch their program to find out information so you can be more sad, so you can be more depressed, and so you could you see the pattern. I was watching this morning about... Uh, um, Robert, Robert Bernay, he was the man who basically created consumerism. And people were only buying, you know, the, the car companies were only coming out with a car every so many years. And he says, no, 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 you need to come out with a new model every year. Because everybody had a car who needed one. And I mean, who would think that a family would need more than one car? You know. So he created that, and it's gone everywhere. It's gone, uh, uh, that idea is in all of the industries. We we've now have planned obsolescence. Things don't last like they used to. And you're right, they don't make them like they used to because they're made not to last very long. But if you read the news and you get wrapped up in this, you're, you're going to have trouble being joyful. It's difficult. And many times it's even difficult to find joy in the church today. But that's only because we're attempting to find our joy in the wrong place. We're trying to find joy in the things around us. We're trying to find joy in those who are around us. And both of these will always fail us. They will always fall short in our search for joy. Now as a church, as a body of Christ in this world, we need to live real lives of joy. And when we do, what we're doing is we're demonstrating to the world that God saves sinners. There's nothing that's more important for those of us who are call ourselves Christians than to live lives of joy. We, we, we have to represent our faith. And I'm, I mean, be honest with you, would you want somebody to come to you and say, uh, you know, I really would like you to come to church with me. It's such a nice place. You know, nobody's going to want to follow you anywhere. It's like... I, excuse me, I, I got to tell you something. You, you will not believe what I experienced. That doesn't have to be church. I was reading scripture, and man, look, look what this says. 
You know, that's the kind of excitement and joy we need to have. There's nothing more important to the church today than to find joy in the Lord and to represent our faith in a way that gives the world the impression based upon the truth that Jesus is the solution. He is the answer that everyone needs. You know, the, the early church was marked with exceeding joy. They, they were, they were marked, it, it was amazed, people were amazed at how joyful these Christians were. No matter what was going on, when they were being persecuted, there was joy. I mean, think about this. You got, you got Peter and John standing before the Sanhedrin, and they're told, you will not preach in this man's name. And they're like, well, you know, I have a choice. I can either follow you or I can follow God. I think I'll follow God. And the Sanhedrin went away and they were discussing. They came back, they beat Peter and John. And guess what? They walked away joyful that they could, they could suffer just as Jesus had suffered. You know, we, we go to the doctor's office and we get stuck with a needle and we complain because it hurts too much, you know? These men were beaten, and they found joy in it because it's the same that Christ got. And they found, found themselves worthy of the suffering that Christ had done, had gotten done to him. You understand the early church lived in a place, they lived in, especially in Rome. Rome itself um, was not exactly a safe place to be. The, the, there was no building codes. You know, nowadays... Most of the time, you can trust that your house is going to stay together at least. You know, if you first first build it, or you know, you, you know it's going to at least survive. And if it starts to crumble, you can get it fixed. Well, in Rome, it was so bad because they, there was no nothing that kept things at a standard. So what would happen is you would have buildings that were falling down all the time. So either houses were being you were afraid that your house was going to fall in, or the building was going to fall down that you were in, or you, you were hearing this constant sound of them being rebuilt because they had fallen down. At nighttime, you couldn't go out into the streets. It was a very dangerous place to be at night. And if you were a Christian in Rome, look out. Chances are you would not be able to be in the market. If you were a merchant, you would not be able to be in the market because you had to bow to Caesar before you could go into the market. It was a difficult place to be. And yet, within that, within that structure, they still found joy. And we have this false idea of of what the ancient world was like. We think if it's all marble and, the, you know, we see the aqueducts, we see the Colosseum, oh, isn't that amazing? And think about everybody in their togas. That's not the way it was. The ancient world was messy. Sanitation was an afterthought. Medical care, mm, yeah. We think we, we got difficult medical care now. No, it's it's thousand times better than it was then, if it was in existence at all. No retirement benefits, no air conditioning, no refrigeration. See, but in the midst of this, the early Christians stood out because God had given them a gift that was way beyond anything this world had. Overflowing forgiveness and acceptance through the cross. That was the source of their joy. And guess what? We have the same thing. We have the same exact blessing we have the presence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts we have practical wisdom for our daily lives we have the promise of never ending enjoyment of being with Christ forever it, it's hard today I know 
you know, we, we create, in, speaking of Brene, you know, we create this instant gratification society. I want it now. I want it, I want to feel good now. I want what I want now. And that will destroy us. We have to think about, we have to play the long game. We got to think about what's coming. Because that's more important. Is it, is it the joy of heaven enough to make anybody joyful? It was for the first century, first century Christians. Now, I can sit here, and I can drop my mic. I can sit here, and I can tell you, you have to have joy. You will have joy. I can go to my kids, and I can say, you're going to be happy today. What's going to happen? You think they're going to be happy today? Everybody should be shaking their head no. They're not going to be happy today. You cannot tell someone to be happy and joyful. Because see, the gospel, it, it doesn't tell us to have joy. It gives us hope. It gives us hope beyond anything that this world will even try to use to beat us down. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, he says, Though you have not seen him, you love him. He's talking about Christ. You haven't seen Christ, but you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy. That is, that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Now, I'll be honest with you. Just because it says it's inexpressible doesn't mean we don't have to express it. And that we can't express it. It just means that it, it is so amazing. It's, it's so you can't even, there's no words to explain the amount of joy that we could have in Christ. And we've never seen him. The gift of Christ to the world is to bring good news to the poor and the brokenhearted. The gospel proclaims liberty to those who are held captive, either, either by the world or by their own sin. You're either captive by the world or you're captive by the sin that is inside of you. And sometimes it's both. And see, the gospel brings comfort to those who mourn and gives gladness to those who are sad. And all this is for the glory of God. And you and I, we get to be partners in giving this gift. I mean... <laughs> Wouldn't you much rather do something like that by, by giving the great gift to somebody? Or would you rather be a, a, someone who works for the IRS <laughs> and has to do audits? You know, uh, There's a big difference. People dread, but when you, when you share the gospel, you're giving them a gift of joy. So we're going to turn to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 61. I'm going, to, I'm going to ask you to stand. We're not going to read the whole. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. We're going to go through the whole chapter today. But I'm going to ask you to stand for at least these first three verses. You will recognize these, and we'll talk about these verses. This is um, this has been in more than one place in Scripture. It says the Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, 
the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Father, we praise you for the word you've given us. We're going to see that these same words were spoken by your son, Jesus, when he was here. Help us, Lord, to give us joy in our hearts. Because, Lord, if we don't have joy in our hearts, we won't have joy. And that joy needs to overflow into all parts of our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen. Have a seat. Now, when we first read this, we may be thinking that, well, that's Isaiah. That Isaiah is talking about his ministry. Because he is, he's appointed to, to go and to, to prophesy and to, to teach and to a rebuke. And... But as we look over the whole of Scripture, we, we get to understand that that's not, that's not what Isaiah is talking about. He's not talking about himself. He's talking about the Messiah that was to come. And we know that that Messiah came. We know that the Messiah came, and he came and he spoke these very words that we just read. We see that in the book of Luke. As Jesus has come to Nazareth, it says, And he came to Nazareth, Luke 4 says, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given him. That, I thought that, I think, that's very interesting because he had no control over what scroll was going to be given him. But that one was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at, li to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine that scene. Jesus is, it's his hometown. Everybody knows him. And what was normally the custom, somebody, you would go in, somebody would get up and they would grab the scroll, whatever the scroll was for that day, and they would read from it. Which is what Jesus did. And he sat down and everybody was quiet because they expected him to say more. And he did. He dropped a bombshell on them. That he was the fulfillment of this verse. Not only that, but these verses actually spell out the purpose and the method of Jesus' ministry. How it's going to function. It's going to be defined by helping those who are in trouble. Those who are in bondage and those who are broken hearted. That is what Jesus' ministry was going to be based upon. See, when we're broken hearted, when we're in this bondage to sin, when trouble seems to be everywhere around us, every corner of our lives is full of it, our human emotions would tell us that God is against me. You hear that when people are struggling, well, God, God, God doesn't love me. Yeah, he does. I went through this not too long ago, and I said, God and I aren't talking right now. The truth was, I wasn't talking to God. He was talking to me. I wasn't listening. 
We might feel that our life and all that we've tried to do has been a waste of time. But we, because we live in this age of fear and despair. I, I, like I was saying earlier, they, they, they feed off of that. Society feeds off of our fear. We, it really came to fruition in 2000. Fear drove everything. Everything that we believed was true was thrown out the door. So it's not true. You need to be afraid. And now we're coming back around and all the studies are showing, well, everything we knew before was right. It was true. And all that was just to see if they could get us to do something we didn't want to do. The studies are showing what we said was true at the beginning is true. I'm not going to say what they are. I still want my videos to be on YouTube. Because they will, they, as soon as I say a certain word, it's gone. They take it off. But understand, I can show you the studies that have come out recently that show the things they told us to do did not work. The problem is our society, our consumer society, has softened the blow somewhat of our fear and our despair. But unfortunately, that consumerism also leads to bondage. But Jesus says he's come to bear our guilty despair and to take it away. He came to replace our fear and despair with inexpressible joy. For what? For his glory. John 16, 20, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and you will lament, but the world will rejoice. Isn't that today? I, I mean, I was reading them, and that is today. We, we, we struggle, we're fine, it's, it's difficult, and yet those of the world, those who are of the world, and they rejoice. Oh, the church is struggling. Yeah, great, it's about time. They have too much power anyways. If you stop there, that would be a pretty sorrowful interpretation of that verse. Jesus goes on to say, you will be sorrowful. It's going to be tough but your sorrow will turn into joy. I promise. And how does he do this? How is Jesus going to take our sorrow and turn to joy? He does it by preaching the good news. And what's the good news? That Jesus has come and he has gained victory over everything that is against us. That's, that's the core of the gospel. He's won the war. We're just fighting the battles. No matter how much sin you and I committed, no matter how broken we are, how many failures we have, how much we fear, and we worry about the lost chances we've had in our lives, regret, Jesus says that we can have life so new that we'll find it hard to believe that it is ours. That's the joy that is in Comprehensible. Joy that is indescribable. There are no words that can describe it. And what effect does this joy that Christ brings cause in us? Does it make us weak like the world says? The world says that, the, that believers in Christ are weak? No. It makes us strong. Back in the Old Testament, when, when Ezra and Nehemiah have gone back to Jerusalem and they're rebuilding, Ezra rebuilds the temple, and Nehemiah goes back and rebuilds the wall, and they find the book of the law. It had been 70 years since the book of the law had been read. 
The book of the law would be the first five books of the, of the Old Testament. And they read it. Ezra reads the book. The people stand. There were no pews. There were no chairs. For hours they stood and they heard God's word. And what do they do after they hear God's word? They weep bitterly. And this is what Nehemiah and, and Ezra say to the people. And Nehemiah 8.10 says, Go your way, eat the fat, and drink the sweet wine, and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready, for this day is holy to the Lord. And he tells them, do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. If you're struggling in your life and there's things that are getting you down, you need to find joy in Christ because that is where the strength is. It's not in picking yourself up. It's not in doing things. It's in finding the joy in the Lord. Before I read, wrote the sermon, I'm just like, ugh, I was not in a good place, struggling with everything. And then I, I read Isaiah 61. And I'm like, huh, I get it. I, 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 get, I get it, but I'm, I'm still working on getting it completely. But I get it. I can't find strength in those things that are around me. I cannot find strength in my job. I cannot find strength in my family. I cannot find strength in myself, my joy. The joy of the Lord is my strength. And the joy of the Lord doesn't go away just because the world is throwing crap at me all the time. It's still there. Because see, the gospel builds strong Christians why do, we, why do we think we have weak Christians now? Because they're not hearing the gospel. And yeah, I'm going to get passionate about this because it's driving me insane. It breaks my heart when people go to church on Sunday mornings and they never hear the gospel. Oh, they hear you're a good person and everybody's good and you need to, you need to work hard and you've got to have dreams and, and God will give you all your dreams. That's not the gospel. The gospel is that I'm a sinner. I'm wretched. God, I cannot save myself. But thank, praise the Lord that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, who died for me on the cross so I can have hope for heaven. That's the gospel we need to hear. And we need to find joy in that because I can't do it. Nothing I could do is going to give that to me, but he did it for me. See, verse 3 of Isaiah 61 says, They will be called oaks of righteousness. I love that term. Oaks of righteousness. Oak trees, man, I've seen some huge oak trees. Huge, big stumps and or, or I'm not even thinking of words. <laughs> big, um, big, big centerpieces, huh? Trunks. There we go. Lost the word there for a second. Big trunks with big, big limbs and strong, and the wind comes and it just barely pushes the top of them. Roots that go down deep. So I got to ask, what's your root system like? I'll be honest with you. Sometimes my root system doesn't go deep enough. It goes out. It needs to go deep. Are you rooted in Christ? If we're rooted in Christ, then why do we get tossed to and fro? Why do we walk around in fear if we're rooted in Christ? Why do we walk around in sadness if we're rooted in Christ? We need to be rooted in the Word of God. We need to be stable in Christ. 
And we need to live without fear. Fear kills us. Fear is a liar. What's the, what's the thing we have on our, we have on our notes? Is F-E-A-R. Is it false? False something. False something appearing real. I'll get it. I'll get it. I'll find it. I just have it pop in my head. We have a little uh, thing on the wall that says fear. F-E- and it's a, written out. F-E-A-R. But it's false um, assumptions. No. False evidence. Yeah. False evidence appearing real. That's all fear is. It's not real. It's false. Thank you. Now I can sleep tonight. (laughs) We're so afraid to share Jesus with those we meet and with our neighbors. While those who've gone before us are willing to face death in order to share the gospel. Well, and I got a question. Are we are we full of joy? Do people know we're full of joy? You don't, you know, you don't have to, you don't have to beat people with the Bible. You just gotta love them and show them that, and you know, they'll say there's something different about you, and you're like, yeah, yeah, there is. It's Jesus. I mean, don't you want to be an oak of righteousness? Don't don't you want to be firmly planted in God, able to take anything that comes your way, any amount of wind, any amount of storm? planted by the Lord for His glory, isn't that that the kind of lives we want to live? We want to live lives that are transformed. In verse 4 of Isaiah 61, it says, They shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, and they shall repair the ruined cities. The devastations of many generations. We all have long-standing ruins in our lives, our homes, and, and the world and we're going to rebuild those ruins. All the ruin that sin has caused us in our lives in this world, it's going to get reversed. Jesus is reversing it. He's going to accomplish that, and He does it through us right now. A day will come where He's going to appear, and He'll, he'll take care of all the rest of it. But in our lives, he can, he can help us to rebuild those ruins, those relationships, let's say those relationships that were broken. God can rebuild them through you. And many times it's through the sharing of the gospel and walking with each other in our lives. See, that's what we need. Sin devastates us. It destroys our homes. It destroys our relationships. It destroys our lives. It destroys our self-image. Sin creates victims who who feel that they have to retaliate. Sin causes us to be passive-aggressive. You know what passive-aggressive is? I'm mad at you, but I'm not going to talk to you. The number one place that people go, especially in the church. I'm mad. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to tell you what the problem is, but you're going to know that I've got a problem, but I'm not going to tell you what it is. It's passive-aggressive. Churches are destroyed by passive-aggressiveness. Relationships are destroyed by passive-aggressiveness. They separate us from each other. Instead of talking with each other with the goal of restoring relationships... Ever since Adam fell, sin has been spreading through our culture and it's created a culture of death. The world is not, this is not normal. You know, you and I, we look at our world and we think, well, this is just the way the world is. No, this is not normal. This is not what God intended. 
Sin corrupted it. But God has a plan to restore it. And that's what the gospel is. We're not normal. Some of us are less normal than others. I'll wear that moniker very, very easily. Everything is broken. We need a Savior. And the only person who qualifies in history is Jesus Christ. So we're enriched. We're no longer enslaved. Verses 5 and 6. It says, Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priest of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations. And in your glory you shall boast. I mean, this is some pretty awesome promises in here. See, strangers are going to tend your flocks. You will no longer have to tend your own flock. And like, I don't have a flock. It's a metaphor. Okay. The things you worry about, people are going to take care of that. It's all going to be taken care of. Why? Because we're ministers of God. We'll be considered ministers of God and we will feed on the wealth of nations. This is, and this is not talking about prosperity gospel. This is not a name it and claim it. You know, sow a seed and you'll get rich. That's not what this is. That's nowhere close to it. Because here's what Peter tells us. Peter tells us in 1 Peter, he says, but you are a chosen race. And he's talking to Gentiles. He's not talking to, to people from Israel. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You and I are part of a new nation, the nation of the church. We are priests in that church. We're ministers. But we're not going to be feasting on physical wealth. This verse sometimes is used for those who want to think that the pastor you know, needs to have a, a new Learjet or a huge mansion. No. We're going to feast on the, we're going to feast on the wealth of the nations. It's, it's a spiritual, it is a metaphorical wealth of the nations. Because just as the glory of Zion is the redeemed, the wealth of the nations is spiritual and are those who have been converted and led out of the world of sin. The redeemed are treasures that we are storing up in heaven. Jesus tells us, don't store up for yourself treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And we're thinking, well, geez, how can I transfer my money to heaven then? You can't. But you know what you store up in heaven? You store up those who you share the gospel with. Those good deeds that you do in your life. Those are the things we're storing up in heaven. And the result of that is going to be glory, not shame. Verse 7 says, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in your lot, their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. I want to be joyful all the time, but life has a tendency to corner us. The problem that we got to do is we got to have that joy still inside us, even in the midst of trouble. But here it tells us we're going to have everlasting joy. We're not going to have shame anymore. Some people say we don't have shame now, and you're right. I think the world struggles with shame. We've tried to push shame aside, and I think that's one of the, one of the tools of the evil one. If you don't feel shameful about your sin, then why do you have to confess it? So we're going to try to make you not feel shameful about what you do and what you think. Don't have to worry about it. The problem is that separates us from God. 
our sin if it's not repented for. But instead of shame, we're going to get a double portion. We can now be honored by Christ and we can rejoice in our inheritance. It says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense. Meaning that I'm going to give everybody what they deserve. And those that are my redeemed deserve forgiveness. Those that are repentant deserve forgiveness. And he says, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them, and they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. And God has richly blessed us. We are forgiven. We are secure. We are loved. We're filled with hope. We can now look forward to eternity with joy. No matter what goes on in our world today, we can look forward to eternity with joy. No fear, no sadness. We are blessed by the Lord. This is one of the reasons why Paul says we we don't mourn like the world does when somebody dies. Why? Because we know that there's a life after this. And if we do mourn, we mourn because we miss that person. But then we have hope that we will see them again. And we have joy, righteousness, and salvation. Verse 10 of Isaiah 61 says, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. We have joy because we have salvation. That's enough. Everything else we get after that is bonus. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns himself with jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as the garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. And right here, in these verses, in 10 and 11, we have the culmination of why we need to be walking in joy. We walk in garments of salvation that are radiantly beautiful. And it's not my salvation. It's the salvation of Christ put upon me. He takes his righteousness off him. He does it, he's no less righteous, but he takes his righteousness and puts it on me. It's his righteousness that I have, not mine. The world cannot provide us anything that even compares to the righteousness of Christ. And guess what? He enjoys doing it. Don't you love giving gifts? Don't you love when you give a gift to your child? When you give a gift to a friend? I just out of the blue? They don't deserve it? Because you and I don't deserve righteousness. He enjoys saving us. Like the joy of a wedding celebration. You know, everybody getting dressed up. At least I think they still do. It's been a while since I've done a wedding. But I think they still get dressed up. There's still bridal shops that are selling dresses that you only wear once in your life that are overpriced. So (laughs) somebody's getting dressed up. Or like a garden sprouting with new life. I love it when I plant 
in the spring when I plant my garden, when I plant the seeds, and I water them, and, and there's nothing there, and there's nothing there, and then all of a sudden, one day I come out, and whoop, they poke themselves out. <gasps> I, I, for two days, I haven't been out in my garden, and I should have known better. Because for like a week before that, I, my, my zucchini wasn't doing anything. So guess what happened in two days? Four zucchini, one of them's this big. Now, I could say, man, what am I going to do? I was like, oh, yes, awesome. I was full of joy. My tomatoes are turning multiple colors. I got red and orange and yellow, and they're beautiful. I put them in the basket. Oh, I don't like eating tomatoes. Maybe we can just leave them sit there, but after a while, they're going to look ugly. I, I find joy in what God grows, and I think I need to have joy in what God is growing inside of me. Because the world, it cannot even compare. Jesus has been doing this for 2,000 years plus, and he's still doing it, and he's still got work to do. It's through Jesus Christ that God has launched into the sad and sinful world an outpouring of joy that's going to leave the nations in awe. They're going to wonder, man, how could, that, how could they be so joyful? I think that's one of the reasons why we've lost our way as a country. We've lost our vision. We've lost our focus on Christ. I, I, I know we've never been a, a nation of God. We really haven't. The founding fathers were good men. They tried, and some of them really were very religious. But we've wandered even farther away. And now we've become the scourge of the world. More child trafficking occurs from the United States than any place else. Understand that. And unfortunately, some things I'm reading recently is our federal government's involved in it. It's, it's, a, scary, it's a scary time to be alive. But we can still have joy. Still have joy. He's on the move, still doing it. Such joy that the world can see the joy of Christ shining in our lives. So, what do we do? How are we to live? First, we need to spend time meditating on the amazing grace that led God to lift us sinners from the mire and the muck, from the dungeons of darkness of the evil one, and into his glorious light. Think about that. How much grace did God have to have to see us, who we really were, and reach down and pull us out of our most dire and desperate places? We should never get tired of thanking him for the salvation that he's provided for us. That should always be on our list and on our lips. Jesus took our stinking, rotting clothes and he gave us garments of praise that reflect his glory. Second, we should desire to become oaks of righteousness. I, again, I love that term, that oak of righteousness, deep-rooted, Planted for displaying the glory of the Lord. Grow up in Christ. Don't be tossed to and fro by false teachings or by our own lust and our own sin, our own temptation. Be strong in the Lord. Put on righteousness of Christ and live a righteous life. Thirdly, we need to be energetic for the mission that we have ahead of us. God is not done with us. We still have a mission to complete. And we must not rest on the laurels or the past. I want to leave, I want to end this sermon with reading from 
actually, that's not where I want to end it. I'm sorry. I was thinking about where I want to end it because this is good too, but I want to share with you Hebrews 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so, so great a cloud of witnesses, he's talking about Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, all these witnesses. Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So don't, put all that stuff aside of the world. Find the joy in Christ and, and look to him who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from, from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Don't give up. Jesus endured so much. Looking towards the joy, he endured, he endured so much for us. Don't give up. And if you're struggling with depression and discouragement, some, spend some time reading Isaiah 61. And spend some time in prayer. As I said before, I was struggling. And I found comfort in Isaiah 61. God is able to comfort us and give us a crown that's so beautiful if we just have the joy of the Lord. And a garment of righteousness that leads to praise instead of despair. Don't weep for yourself in your situation. Rejoice in the Lord. Also, don't weep alone. Reach out to those. Talk to others about your despair. Talk about Jesus and spend some time in prayer together. What I want to leave you with is 2 Corinthians 4, 16-18. Paul tells us, so we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction, they're thinking, oh, you have no idea what I'm going through. It's not light. I'll be honest with you, it's momentary, and it's light in comparison to what Christ went through. This light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient. They don't last forever. But the things that are unseen are eternal. Let's pray.